Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, for Epilogue 2, Chapter 5. I assume everybody else is completely confused at this stage, but if not, what point do you think he's making in this chapter, or do you think Tolstoy is actually getting at a coherent point? <coughs> Excuse me. Or is he just rambling? To explain the conditions of the relationship, we must first establish a conception of the expression of will, referring it to man and not to the deity. What do you think this expression of will could be? Rybred Egg says, do you think Tolstoy is actually getting at a point or just rambling? I think this is rambling. Truly, I find it a shame. The book could have ended on such a killer note. It is very rambly. Alajos, on the other hand, had this to say, I think, from a modern perspective, it's easy to accuse Tolstoy of a pointless rant. In modern history memory, there are plenty of examples of the will of the people being used to justify atrocities like the Holocaust or Bosnian genocide, most dictatorships... But in the 19th century, when Tolstoy was writing, it was a new concept only just starting to gain ground in Europe. It was a literally, literally revolutionary idea that instead of a ruler's authority being justified by the will of God, it was justified by the will of the people they ruled. It wouldn't be until the end of World War I that that principle, what we call national sovereignty today, became the norm of legitimizing the leader's authority. Today, pointing out things like the will of the people being a vague and easily manipulated concept that anyone can apply to their own agenda is something done in any intro to political theory university class, but at the time War and Peace was being written, these questions were much fresher and needed to be investigated. Well, that's a good point. We've got a different lens, don't we? Um, I guess it just has become stale then, even if it was fresh then. Maybe something like that um, it's not even too much to do with the actual point he's making it's just the rambliness but I guess the rambliness was justified then because he was really kind of bearing out his point as much as possible Warren Coffey says I'm starting to think I just need to re-attempt reading the epilogues to get the full picture but I'm not doing that anytime soon I really feel like it is rambling I don't know about you guys, but I almost feel like the narrative and the epilogues are written by two different authors. The story is so clear, whereas this argument by Tolstoy is, in my opinion, so all over the place and over the top. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I would agree. That's all I've got to say. It's a bit over the top. It's overdone. But again, yeah, that whole lens of history makes things difficult to into perspective Kara Kikars is organising by the way uh, an end of book get together which will be happening on the 28th of December I think it is in a few days between Christmas and New Year's so if you're looking for something to do between Christmas and New Year's we're having a Zoom hangout um, which I think is going to be awesome I'll be on it you'll be able to put a face to the, the voice um and I don't know it'd be good to have a chat I feel like sometimes I feel like I've been doing this for so long and I like all the participants of this project you know I like you guys I like that we're a community but I just sometimes feel like I wish that we had more of a social bond outside of discussing the book if that makes sense probably just a, 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 um, a symptom of you know, all the lockdowns and everything. But actually, even going back before COVID, um, 
I had a similar feeling. Like one of the reasons I did the podcast was to to build a community, to be part of that community, and um, which I've we've done. But it would also be cool to I don't know any in any way we can get closer and meet each other and virtually shake hands or you know put faces to names that kind of thing i think that's a really cool thing to do so yeah um thanks kara kickass for setting that up if you're interested have a look on the a year of war and peace subreddit um there's a post called an end of book get together the invitation an end of book get together and invitations by kara kickass and in that you'll find an eventbrite event where you can get a ticket. It's free. Uh, the ticketing is just because um, Eventbrite, when you get a ticket, it sort of automatically translates it to your time zone and you know puts it in your calendar and everything. So you don't have to try to we don't have to bother trying to figure out you know what what the local times are and all that. Eventbrite does all that for you, which is very very handy. All right, let's read uh, chapter six. Only the expression of the will of the deity not dependent on time can relate to a whole series of events occurring over a period of years or centuries, and only the deity independent of everything can by his sole will determine the direction of humanity's movement, but man acts in time and himself takes part in what occurs. Reinstating the first condition omitted, that of time, we see that no command can be executed without some preceding order having been given rendering the execution of the last command possible. No command ever appears spontaneously, or itself covers a whole series of occurrences, but each command follows from another, and never refers to a whole series of events, but always to one moment only of an event. When, for instance, we say that Napoleon ordered armies to go to war, we combine in one simultaneous expression a whole series of consecutive commands, depending one on another. Napoleon could not have commanded an invasion of Russia and never did so. Today he ordered such and such papers to be written to Vienna, to Berlin and to Petersburg. Tomorrow such and such decrees and orders to the army, the fleet, the commissariat and so on and so on. Millions of commands which formed a whole series corresponding to a series of events which brought the French armies into Russia. If throughout his reign Napoleon gave commands concerning an invasion of England and expended on no other undertaking so much time and effort, and yet, during his whole reign, never once attempted to execute that design, but undertook an expedition into Russia, with which country he considered it desirable to be in alliance, a conviction he repeatedly expressed. This came about because his commands did not correspond to the course of events in the first case, but did so correspond in the latter. For an order to be certainly executed, it is necessary for that a man should order what can be executed. But to know what can and what cannot be executed is impossible, not only in the case of Napoleon's invasion of Russia, in which millions participated, but even in the simplest event, for in either case millions of obstacles may arise to prevent its execution. Every order executed in all is always one of an immense number unexecuted. All the impossible orders inconsistent with the course of events remain unexecuted. Only the possible ones get linked up with a consecutive with a consecutive series of commands corresponding to a series of events and are executed. Our false conception that an event is caused by a command which precedes it is due to the fact that when the event has taken place and out of thousands of others those few commands which were consistent 
with that event have been executed. We forget about the others that were not executed because they could not be. Apart from that, the chief source of our error in this matter is due to the fact that in the historical accounts, a whole series of innumerable diverse and petty events, such, for instance, as all those which led the French armies to Russia, is generalized into one event in accord with the result produced by that series of events. Corresponding with this generalization, the series of commands is also generalized into a single expression of will. We say that Napoleon wished to invade Russia and invaded it. In reality, in all Napoleon's activity, we never find anything resembling an expression of that wish, but find a series of orders or expressions of his will, very variously and indefinitely directed. Amid a long series of unexecuted orders of Napoleon's one series, the campaign of 1812 was carried out, not because those orders differed in any way from the other unexecuted orders, but because they coincide with the course of events that led the French army into Russia, just as in stencil work this or that figure comes out, not because the colour was laid on from the side or that in that way, but because it was laid on from all sides over the figure cut in the stencil. So that in so that examining the relation in time of the commands to the events we find that a command can never be caused the cause of the event, but that a certain definite dependence exists between the two. To understand in what this dependence consists, it is necessary to reinstate another omitted condition of every command pre- proceeding not from the deity but from a man, which is that the man who gives the command himself takes part in the event. This relation of the command to those he commands is just what is called power. This relation consists of the following. For common action people always unite in certain combinations in which, regardless of the difference of the aims set for the common action, the relation between those taking part in it is always the same. Men uniting in these combinations always assume such relations towards one another that the larger number take a more direct share and the smaller number a less direct share in the collective action for which they have combined. Of all the combinations in which men unite for collective action, one of the most striking and definite examples is an army. Every army is composed of lower grades of the service, the rank and file, of whom there are always the greatest number of the next higher military rank, corporals and non-commissioned officers of whom there are fewer, and of still higher officers of whom there are still fewer, and so on, to the highest military command, which is concentrated in one person. A military organisation may be quite correctly compared to a cone, of which the base with the largest diameter consists of the rank and file, the next higher and smaller section of the cone consists of the next higher grades of the army, and so on to the apex, the point of which will represent the commander-in-chief. The soldiers of whom there are the most form the lower section of the cone and its base. The soldier himself does the stabbing, hacking, burning and pillaging, and always receives orders for these actions from men above him. He himself never gives an order. The non-commissioned officers, of whom there are fewer, perform the action itself less frequently than the soldiers, but they already give commands. An officer still less often acts directly himself, but commands still more frequently. A general does nothing but command the troops, indicates the objective, and hardly ever uses a weapon himself. The commander-in-chief never takes direct part in the action itself, but only gives general orders concerning the movement of the mass of the troops. A similar relation of people to one another is seen in every combination of men for common activity in agriculture, trade, and every administration. And so, without particularly analysing all the contiguous sections of a cone, 
and of the ranks of an army all the ranks and positions in which administrative or public business or whatever from the lowest to the highest we see a law by which men to take associated action combine in such relations that the more directly they participate in performing the action the less they can command and the more numerous they are while the less their direct participation in the action itself the more they command and the fewer of them there are rising in this way from the lowest ranks to the man at the top who takes the least direct share in the action and directs his activity chiefly to commanding this relation of the men who command to those they command is what constitutes the essence of the conception called power having restored the condition of time under which all events occur we find that a command is executed only when it is related to a corresponding series of events restoring the essential condition of relation between those who command and those who execute we find that by the very nature of the case those who command take the smallest part in the action itself and that their activity is exclusively directed to commanding Ooh, all right there we go that's how commanding works thanks tolstoy appreciate the rant all right thanks guys see you tomorrow